Americas underway here on ESPN Plus. Just about underway. Yeah. As I say hello to my good friend Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebi Salazar coming to you from the East Coast. He's over there way out in Los Angeles on the West Coast. I'm hoping you can hear me just a little bit. How you doing, my man? I can hear man? you, brother. I can hear. I'm doing well. Hopefully production sorts me out in a bit, but I'm doing really well, man. As you can tell, sporting donin the special one, so I feel extra special today. Very, very cool. Okay, we may speak some Jose Mourinho a little bit later in the show. It's almost like you've looked at the rundown. Speaking of the rundown, uh, plenty more to come here on this episode of Football Americas. You're going to hear from Matteo Benetti. We're previewing the final of the European Championships between England and Italy. We're hear from Clinton Yates as well, the top five jerseys from the upcoming Gold Cup. And as you see right there on your screen, this show now available in podcast form. Wherever you download your podcast, just search the ESPN FC feed. All right, Herc, y'all hooked up, y'all ready to go. Let's start as we often do here with Major League Soccer, the good, bad, and the ugly from the midweek that was. The Seattle Sounders are good. They beat Houston Dynamo 2-0, setting an MLS record for the longest unbeaten streak to start a season at 30. 13 games. This prompted us to ask, well, let's be honest. This prompted you, Hercules Gomez, with your Seattle-loving ways to ask in our production meeting, with your Seattle-loving agenda, is the Seattle Sounders the best franchise in all of Major League Soccer? So since we're told to never ask a question we don't know the answer to, Hercules Gomez, is Seattle the best franchise in Major League Soccer? Easily the best franchise in Major League Soccer. Where do you want to start? On all levels, my friend. Let's talk about longevity, a team that is always fighting for MLS Cup. Their teams are always there, whether it's fighting for Supporters' Shield, whether it's in the highest uh, positions of the table, season uh, tras temporada or season, they're always there. You want to talk about celebrity ownership? That seems cool, right? The original celebrity ownership belongs to Seattle. You remember Drew Carey? If you want to talk about pushing the envelope with signings, do you remember Clint Watch, Dempsey Watch? They brought you Obafami Marins. They brought you Clint Dempsey. They brought you all these players like Nicolás Lodeiro, players who actually do something in this league. You want to talk about the fan base, that rabid fan base, and how they pack that stadium? You want to talk about relevance in their market? You can't talk about the Mariners. You can't talk about what is the Seahawks if you don't talk about the Sounders. They are relevant in their market. How about rival? Do you want to talk about a rivalry, one of the best rivalries in Major League Soccer? No, nay. In North American sports, yes, the Seattle Sounders and the Portland Timbers. And by the way, every year I feel like I pick the Seattle Sounders to go to MLS Mm -hmm. Cup. Mm -hmm. And I feel like every year it happens. This team... It's not a building process. You can't win one and then hope for the best on the next one. You have to go back and do it again. And look at this. Most consecutive playoff appearances. The Seattle Sounders, 12 in a row, my friends. And last year, last year they got the MLS Cup, two MVP candidates. This year, they have a different two MVP candidates already. What do you want from me? This is what they do. This is easily the best franchise in Major League Soccer. Don't at me. Okay. All right. And who was the last franchise in Major League Soccer to sign your paycheck? Wait, Major League Soccer signs all the paychecks, so that's irrelevant. Look at, look at this. Look <laughs> at this, dude. I don't even know, Damn. honestly. <laughs> I don't even know if Seattle is the best franchise in the Pacific Northwest, Herc. Portland won a title before Seattle and got a two-year later start. Two-year later start. And not only that, they're not playing in an NFL stadium. They're not playing in somebody playing else's in field. Stadium. They've got the best facility. Her, where that stadium The was? best facility for soccer in the United States. Portland Timbers, way better than Seattle. Did I don't you even know if Seattle's the, the best Timbers, franchise in the Northwest. Her, the come Portland on, Timbers man. had the best facility in 
MLS. Oh yeah, I would take. Oh yeah, I take a game. I take a game there over any other spot in Major League Soccer for sure. Different conversation. Let let me put our conversation this way. It's a it's a barroom debate, right? There, there's no right answer. There's no wrong answer. But I think there's a very limited group of teams that you could actually put into this conversation, right? Right. It's Sounders. It's Galaxy. Yes. Sporting Kansas City. Yep. Portland Timbers. Am I missing anybody else? Have I left anybody else out? I think Toronto's a great, great no. market. Still? Still? You can have a bad season, but that's a great market. And what they've mm. done, the thing is, they turned around what Toronto used to be into to what we think Toronto should be today, and they are struggling this season. But that is an amazing market, amazing stadium, amazing fan base, and they've done some very good things. You want to talk about investment? You can't talk about investment without Toronto. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. But they're trending down now, which is why we find them in our bat. Although, really, maybe this should be good for Toronto as well because they went from losing 7-1 against D.C. United to somehow, somehow, hurt just days after firing Chris Armas, beating the New England Revolution 3-2. Aside from this mad walkabout from Brad Knighton, the New England goalie, how do we explain the 180 here for TFC? Because right now it looks real bad for Chris Armas. You want to talk about mad walkabout? How about my man in production over here running for an IFB, helping me out, getting me sorted <laughs> in time? That was a dash. Uh, wow. You ever heard that técnico que debuta gana, that saying in Spanish for Liga yep. Mekis teams? Like, if you know you're going to debut with a different coach, that team almost always wins. And I know this is terrible to hear, but the player plays a different way. He thinks a different way. And whether that is right or that is wrong, that's another debate, but it's true. He just left. This person just left. He was the reason we were not winning. Well, now he's gone. So if we're not winning, if we're playing not as well, if we're, now all of a sudden everybody's gonna be like, wait a second, maybe the problem wasn't him. Maybe it's you. And there aren't enough players in Major League Soccer. Forget that locker room. In Major League Soccer, who feel secure enough with their paycheck, with their role to be like, if I don't do well today, I still have tomorrow. So your job's on the line. So you play like your job's on the line. But then again, every now and then you have the rival, you have the opponent who gifts you plays, who gifts you an opportunity, who brings you back to life, gives you confidence, as New England did in that first half. So Chris Armas out as the manager at Toronto FC, very much still in as the manager of the New England Revolution, the one and only Bruce Arena, who is always, Herc, always good for a soundbite. What role? Shakespeare. What do you mean by slow? Well, you go behind three goals, this is the first time that's happened. Well, that's fast. That's fast to go down three goals. Uh, mediocre. Be honest with you, there's nothing special. And the, uh, you know, he's an experienced goalkeeper. We shouldn't be conceding that first goal. All right, a lot to unpack there. Principally, uh, Tommy McNamara in the role of Shakespeare. Yeah. What do you make of Bruce's comments it, it, here? It's, it's the hair. That's Bruce being Bruce, my man. If you know Bruce, if you've gotten to see him, or get from the DC United team to the Red Bull teams to those very successful Galaxy teams, this is what he does, and this is who he is. You have to take him for what he's worth. I hate that he has the stain of the World Cup failure on his resume. I hate the way he handled the situation, not in a graceful manner, because you see people look at Bruce differently now, and they don't see him for what he is. He's a very good coach in Major League Soccer. He is one of the pioneers of Major League Soccer that's managed to stay relevant through all types of different phases. I consider us to be in MLS uh, 3.0 now. 
It used to be 1.0, 2.0, now it's 3.0, and he's adapted very well in every single phase, and he's been successful in every single phase. So it's a shame that he's got that stain on his resume. He's managed to not only stay relevant, I think you could argue he's managed to make New England relevant, which yeah. is an achievement uh, in many ways in and of itself. Speaking of relevance, that's where we're going for ugly because things in Vancouver Herc, are getting more and more ugly by the week, it seems. They lose not one, not two, not three, but four nothing to Real Salt Lake. They are now alone in dead last place, Vancouver, in the Western Conference. They've missed the playoffs the last three seasons. They've missed the playoffs four of the last five seasons, which prompts me to ask, is this, and I don't care if we lose some friends in Vancouver, is this the least relevant team, Herc, in all of Major League Soccer? That's unfair. Come on, Seb. They're not even playing in Canada. That's got a lot to do with it. Wait a second. Didn't Toronto last year play under the same circumstances and on the last match they lost out to the Philadelphia Union and that supporters uh, shield race? Yeah. Aren't Montreal impact today fourth in the East, tied third in the East I should say, and have a game in hand? Yeah. So Vancouver, when your most relevant moment in Major League Soccer is mm -hmm. the selling of a player, Alfonso Davies, that tells you something. When the second most relevant moment is probably Eric Hasley goal against the Seattle Sounders and Casey Keller, that wonder goal. If that's one of your most relevant moments, that tells you something. If Camilo Sanveso was the good years of your <laughs> franchise, that tells you something. Now, when we were at a production meeting, I mentioned, oh man, probably the Colorado Rapids, but I can't say that because the Colorado Rapids are my team. I play there, you know, all that stuff. But at least Colorado tries. Yep. Think about yep. it. They at least try to be relevant. They try to spend. Maybe they do it in the wrong way. Maybe they're not good at it, but they try. It just seems like Vancouver can't get one, can't hit one, and won't hit one. Yeah, you know what? I, I, I'm slow to give them credit for Alfonso Davies. Oh, sure, he is the biggest moment in their history. He showed up with the Vancouver Whitecaps when he was 15. He made his first team debut when he was 16. So it's not exactly like they made him the player that he was. He played Gave in Edmonton for a couple youth clubs and kind of, if we're being honest, fell into their laps. I love that you gave Colorado a shout there because you're right. The biggest name in Colorado team history is Tim Howard. And <laughs> compared to Vancouver... Way bigger. Oh, uh, sorry, sorry. I, I scored the, biggest the first name goal in, in the Colorado history. You're gonna go with Tim Howard? Yeah. Oh, sorry. It's Hercules Gomez. Hercules Gomez. Boy, we really do have a bias here. More than a shirt there. On football, Americas. <laughs> a League's Cup schedule is out, or at least the quarterfinals, which will take place between August 10th and the 12th. Here we match up Seattle Sounders against Tigres, Sporting Kansas City against Leon, Orlando against Santos, and New York City FC against Pumas. All right, Herc, yes, no question. Would you bet on an all Liga Mekis final in this event? No, I wouldn't. Ah. No, 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 not this go around. You want to know why? Uh, by the way, I love the matchups, some very mouthwatering matchups. Uh, Orlando, Seattle, or I'm sorry, Orlando, Santos, Laguna should be a lot of fun. Very end stuff. Tigres, Seattle Sounders are my dream matchup. That should be my final right there. That's the Herc Gomez Cup, if you will. But look what's on the other side of the bracket, Sebi, and this is where the doubts for the Mexican clubs are. New York City FC versus Pumas. Pumas has a lot of doubts. They're no mm -hmm. longer mm -hmm. El Equipo Grande. They have a lot of money issues, financial issues. They don't have the resources they once had. They can't go out and buy their, their figures, their idols. They're not better they than New York City? Well, hold on, hold on. That's where they have a chance. 
You're telling me it's a lock. That's not a lock. New York City? I like New York City's chances a lot. That academy system for Pumas, it ain't what it once was. And then, wait, Leon or Chivas? We don't know which one. Both yep. of those with a lot of problems, okay? Leon doesn't even have a coach, or they just lost uh, Ignacio Ambriz, uh, a very aging team. You saw what this Toronto did to them in the CONCACAF Champions League. And Chivas? Where do I start, my man? Have you seen hmm. the Amazon Prime series on them? They've got problems everywhere. So the argument always in CONCACAF Champions League is, well, the MLS teams are in preseason mode, so they can't possibly be where the Mexican teams are when the Mexican teams are halfway through their season and playing much better. It's going to be the opposite this time around. So we're going to kind of get to see it from the other perspective. Yeah. This will be, what, maybe a week or two into the Liga Meki season. And it is literally the midway point, a little bit after the midway point of the MLS campaign. So I think Major League Soccer teams will have an advantage, Herc. But we, we kind of got to lean on history, right? Like Always. we have decades. Always. We have decades of CONCACAF Champions League matchup after CONCACAF Champions League matchup. And Major League Soccer doesn't beat Liga Mekis. I, I really am shocked that you say you wouldn't bet will, your own hard-earned money. in their defense, because you remember what, in 2019, when you and I called the final and it was Cruz Azul Tigres, do you remember mm -hmm. how many Major League Soccer teams actually took the tournament seriously? Probably one. Galaxy. Okay, that was it. This year... Right. It's got to be different. This year, the Seattle Sounders, Orlando, New York City, all those teams that are in it should take it seriously because it's a realistic opportunity of them winning something. Okay. All right. So you don't think it's going to be an all-league on Mekis final? Do not. Who's your favorite of the eight teams that are in it to win it all then? It's Tigres. It has to be Tigres. It has to be Miguel Herrera. Listen, new coach, what happened to Major League Soccer's, What happened to Major philosophy. League Soccer's best franchise? They're meeting in the quarterfinals. What happened to all that? What do you mean? No, 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 no. You asked me if it was going to be all Mexican final. I and said, we see no, where your loyalties lie now. We see where your loyalties lie now. You said Seattle was the best MLS has to offer. They're going out in the quarterfinals of League's Cup, according Against to Hercules Gomez. Against the best Gomez. that Liga MX has to offer, and I don't see anybody on the Seattle Sounders that's won a World Cup, like Florian Dovon. Uh, I don't see anybody there that has the resume that Andre Pierre Gignac has. You look down the roster, Guido Pizarro, the Argentine national team he's played there, Hugo Ayala, World Cup with Mexico, uh, Salcedo, World Cup with Mexico, still very much in his prime. Uh, you look at everywhere, all over the field, Diente Lopez coming off the bench, uh, Quiñones, they just got so much talent. Uh, mm -hmm. They can hurt you multiple ways. And Miguel Herrera, like, when you talk about the most tried and tested coach in Liga Mekis in probably their history, it's Tuca Ferretti. But then you talk about the one who's probably the biggest name right now, it's Miguel Herrera. They have mm. that man, and he's a proactive offensive coach with this team that's been dying for a coach like that for quite some time. They lost the message with Tuca Ferretti. I think it's going to come back with Miguel Herrera. This team just screams finals. They scream experience, and they scream uh, winner to me. It sounds, it sounds to me like you don't think they're going to miss Tuca all that much, which, which I'm very surprised by. I'm not disagreeing with you, but it doesn't, it doesn't sound like, like you think it's that big of a loss. No, it's a, it's a loss because they're the team of the decade and everything they've done. But what do you want? It's Miguel Herrera. The step down in what is Liga MX isn't that far off.
Okay, uh, fair enough. Some more news between Major League Soccer and Liga MX. Ake Loba, don't worry. If you've not heard of him, uh, don't worry. You're not alone. He's an Ivorian forward, 23 years old. He's been in Mexico for a while. First Querétaro, uh, then with Rayados of Monterrey. He's been sold, reportedly transferred to Nashville for $6.8 million. That is a big, big number. I know a lot of our colleagues down in Mexico are kind of suggesting that Nashville and therefore MLS got ripped off here. Is that true? Did MLS get ripped off on this deal? Listen, man, I've always been told your market value is what somebody is willing to pay you. But by gosh, did they spend a lot. Close to $7 mm. million for a player that's 23 years of age that in the last three years has scored 15 league goals. That's being taken for a ride. Now, he can come in and score 20 a year and win you MLS Cup, and it's all great gravy. Fine. Realistically, will that happen? I don't think so. And even if it does, you still paid $7 million for a player that was nowhere near the first team for Monterrey, that was nowhere near Javier Aguirre's radar. I understand what Monterrey paid for him, but this is crazy. But this isn't the first time that we've seen Major League Soccer clubs being taken for a ride. Look at the history. Brian Fernandez, close to the reported $10 to $12 million market for, mm -hmm. from Necaxa to Portland. Alan Pulido, record transfer fee from Chivas to Sporting Kansas City. Rodolfo Pizarro for your Inter Miami. It goes on and on and on, and it will continue to go on. Lucas Elarayan, who went from Tigres to Columbus, a player who was a French player on the first team with Tigres. A very good player, albeit. But these transfer fees, they're now playing in a market that is inflated. Their own little world, and they're trying to stay with those prices. And oftentimes, it does look, on the outside looking in, like they are being taken for a ride. I don't want to say Major League Soccer is turning into Liga Mekis' junkyard. That's probably too strong. But at least it's consignment store. When Liga Mekis teams realize they have an asset that's not really valuable to them, but they need a market for it, the first door they knock on, the door they're most optimistic about knocking on, is always seemingly the Major League Soccer door. That's very interesting. One more note on this move, by the way. Nashville needed an international spot to make this happen. Herc, I know you've heard of this. Uh, they traded for one from Portland for $230,000 dollars in allocation money. Portland got the same spot from Cincinnati hours before for $100,000 in allocation money. That that Herc is why the Portland Timbers are the best franchise in Major Monopoly League Soccer. Monopoly money. That doesn't count. Come on. <laughs> they know how to play the game. They what know game? how to play the game. Ned All right, uh, speaking of guy. games. There's good stuff we, there. We've got some games on ESPN Plus for you tonight. Major League Soccer action continues. Uh, but the next game on the TV side of things, Saturday, July 17th, New England against Atlanta United on ESPN and ESPN Deportes. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Here's a look at the Gold Cup groups. Group A, where we find Mexico. Group B, where we find the United States, as well as Canada. Your Group C favorites, probably Costa Rica and Jamaica. And Group D, probably Honduras and Panama, your favorites. Although the lone guests in the tournament in there, Qatar, could be an interesting team to keep an eye out for 
as well. All right, Herc, well, this tournament, a little bit different for the United States and Mexico, probably different expectations as we head in. So let's start with a big picture, treetop question. What's at stake for Mexico and the U.S. at this Gold Cup? Let's start with Mexico, because I think there's probably a little bit more at stake there, isn't there? Yeah, for Tata Martino, it's his job. I mean, you come no, off. No, you're exaggerating. You think I am, my friend? Could you yep. imagine if Tata Martino lost the CONCACAF Nations League final against the U.S. men's national team and then loses within a month, within a span of maybe a month, the final, let's say, if it is against the U.S., against the U.S. men's national team C team with all his A players, with the guy who he openly campaigned for as a nine, a dual citizen, a naturalized player, and Rogelio Funes Mori that's opened up a can of worms in the Mexican circles. Could you imagine if that is coupled? Could you imagine if that comes to fruition? Tata Martino could be on the outside looking in of what is Qatar. We're 18 months out of what is the World Cup. It could be panic button time. Let's look for a new coach. Exagerado alarmista. That's what you are. No. That's what you are. You know I'm what Tata Martino's salary is? You know what Tata Martino's salary is? $2.2 million a year. So? You think FMF wants to eat that and pay some other coach? You think they want Chips. to eat that and pay some Chips. other coach when Yon De Luisa, the president, says he wants Tata through 2026? Bro, Tata's not under pressure until World Cup qualifying starts and they start losing games. They lost you- a made-up final and people were asking for his head. How was he not under pressure? No, 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 no. I made a final. Different to say he's under pressure and that his job is at stake, Herc. That's what you said. You said his job is at stake in the Gold Cup. I could not disagree more. If he loses to this, quick question. Do you remember the fallout after losing a game versus Chile? And where they got outscored, what was it, 7-1 for Juan Carlos Osorio? He was undefeated up until that point. Did they he were keep talking his job? about replacing him. Did he keep his job? They were talking. Seb, that was his first loss. And the talk was, should we replace him? Don't tell me, exagerado. You know this exists. You know the media. You know the pressure. You know the culture. It's his job. All right, fair enough. We'll, uh, we'll leave it there on Mexico, although we, uh, we disagree. One thing I would say is at stake for Mexico that is very important, that number nine job. Funes Mori can lock it down in this tournament. Let's talk U.S. What's at stake then for the United States? Because we know it is not the A team. It's not the first 23 that Greg Berhalter would most likely take to Qatar. So what's important then about this for the USMNT? Well, for Greg Berhalter and for a lot of these players, it's what they can do for themselves individually. There are some players like Matthew Coppe, some players like Reggie Cannon who are looking to showcase themselves for a better transfer to a better club situation. Then there is the possibility of other players booking their ticket to Qatar. When I talk about the number of players that already have a lock with Greg Berhalter, maybe put it in double digits, maybe he's already got his core. That leaves what? I don't know. Let's throw out a number. Five to seven players that could be fringe players that he's not quite sure on. That in 18 months, can realistically prove themselves. Well, Gold Cup has always been a tournament for players to earn themselves positions. We've seen in the past with players like Matt Beasler, with players like Omar Gonzalez, these situations exist. They book their tickets for what they do in Gold Cup. They earn the opportunity through Gold Cup. So another situation, it may be opposite uh, polars, of, or I should say um, ends of the spectrum for what is Mexico and the U.S. men's national team, but they can earn something. Qatar. When the roster was announced for the U.S., I think it was nine players, 23 or under. I think a lot of these guys are playing more for 2026 than 2022. But I'll give you four guys, Herc, 
to your point, that I think are playing for 22. Ariola, Zardes, Leggett, Roldan. Those four guys, it's, it's a big, big tournament for those four guys to prove, not necessarily to Greg Berhalter, their value, because he keeps calling them in, but that they really, really deserve a spot I in a team that's going to go to I Qatar. can't believe you put Leggett in that list. I mean, that seems to be one of the consentidos, one of the uh, favorites of Greg Berhalter. Sure, we'll see. We'll see when all the Europeans come in. Give it another year. We'll see where Leggett is uh, in the pecking order, but certainly a name to keep an eye out in this tournament. All right, let's move past U.S. and Mexico, right? Because we figured U.S. and Mexico are going to be at the final of this tournament. After all, that's how it's set up. So who's going to be then for you, Herc, the surprise team of the Gold Cup? Jamaica, Jamaica! Honestly, I shouldn't call them a surprise team. They've made the final in two of the last three editions, and the one they didn't make the final, they were out in semis. This is a team that always seems to do well in what is Gold Cup. But I'm going to read you some names, okay, in each one of the lines. Andrew Blake is a very, very good goalkeeper. Could be the best goalkeeper in Gold Cup. Michael Ector of Fulham. Kamar Lawrence, who's a very good player. He's a force to be reckoned with at left back. Robin Morrison, do you remember that guy? Do you remember what Wayne Rooney mm-hmm. said about him when he was at Manchester United? Then you got Leon Bailey, who's going to give defenders fits. I don't care what defender in the world, he can give you trouble. You've also got Shamar Nicholson, uh, etc. A-, a cast of dual nationals that we still don't know a lot about. It's a very interesting team for me. This is a team that I think can do some damage, and I don't think in that group of Costa Rica, Costa Rica is a lock. Jamaica's my surprise team. All right, fair enough. You mentioned the dual nationals. One thing I would say is it may be a little bit early. Not necessarily my thought on Jamaica, but actually Andy Williams, Jamaican legend, played in the 98 World Cup, long career with RSL. He says this should be a rehearsal of sorts for World Cup qualifying. I think Jamaica has their eyes on World Cup qualifying. You get those new players in, I think they could surprise then, but it's a fair shout for Gold Cup. I'm going a little bit different, and my pick is really based on the bracket. So I think the weakest group in all this is Group D. So I think the second place out of Group A, which is Mexico's group, is ultimately the team that can maybe, maybe get into a semifinal. So for me, I think second place out of this group is not going to be El Salvador. It's not going to be Trinidad, who are a mess. Their federation mess is spilling into the men's national team. I think it's going to be Curaçao, who, as you just saw, Herc, are managed by Patrick Kluivert. Remember, Herc, we saw this very same Curaçao team in the quarterfinals of the last Gold yep. Cup in Philadelphia, outpossess and outshoot the United States on home soil in a knockout game of a continental tournament. Watch out for Curaçao. Am I crazy? You're not crazy, but uh, I like El Salvador as well. I think uh, Hugo Perez is doing a wonderful job there. Just keep an eye out for them. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so some surprises there. What about player of the tournament? Who you got? I've got Rogelio Funes Mori. Listen, there's nobody who's been in the eye of the hurricane more than Rogelio Funes Mori. And when you're going to play the number nine position in between players like Chucky Lozano and Tecatito Corona, you're going to get chances. But watch out for the chances he creates for these two players. This trident is as good a trident as there is in Gold Cup. Probably the best. And Mexico, clear favorites. Rogelio Funes Mori in that group stage because Alan Polito, there's no timetable for his return, is going to be the only nine. Could pad those stats. I just feel it's a, a perfect cocktail for him to pick an outstanding player of the tournament. All right, so Rogelio Funes Mori, great player. But the two times that on this show we have done a top five of CONCACAF players, Rogelio Funes Mori was not even near the list. (laughs) Was not even on the list. You know who was at the top of the list? You know who was at the top of the list? Come on. Alfonso 
Davies. That's right, your list, Turk, your expertise. Good player. Shaka Hislop's expertise. The best field player in CONCACAF is Alfonso Davies. So I'm going with Alfonso Davies. I'm going with Alfonso Davies. One, I think Canada could be a could be a surprise team if we want to call them that in this event too. I could definitely see them reaching a semifinal, if not more. Alfonso Davies is going to be the man. He's not a left back. He's not a left back in a back four. He's a left wing in a 4-2-3-1 a lot of the times for Canada. No Jonathan David in this event for them, so maybe some more goals to go around his way. Tell me I'm crazy for picking Alfonso Davies. You're not Davies. crazy. They could win the group, and the U.S. Men's National Team is in that group, so you're not crazy. There you go. All right, so the Gold Cup starting on Saturday with Alfonso Davies leading the way for Canada. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Italy, England. Italy, England. The final. Why is England in the final? Well, uh, maybe uh, Mexican and Danish fans have a lot more in common after this. Remember, no era penal in 2014, Herc. The Danes think they have their own version of it here. Raheem Sterling drawing the penalty in extra time. The decisive penalty as England goes on to win 2-1. Clinch that spot in the final. Straight up, Herc. Was it a pen? No. No. Listen, I know what Raheem Sterling is doing. He's actually on the way to falling down already. The contact comes as he's going down. The problem here, Seb isn't if you and I think it's a penalty. It's what this guy in blue thinks about it. That's the problem, and he thought it was a penalty. Oh, uh, what about this? We had lasers being blasted at Kasper Schmeichel, the Danish goalie. It didn't seem to affect him. He made the first save, only to see Harry Kane then put it in her. What heartbreak. Whether it's a pen or not, it's just cruel for Denmark. Uh, the worst possible way for them to go out. And you're cheering for Denmark as a nation for everything they've been through. Uh, you know, it's just unbelievable grit and hope that they demonstrated throughout this tournament. He blocks the penalty, but the rebound goes right back to Harry Kane. Yeah, the tough thing about the penalty for me is in this day and age, players know that VAR is there to bail them out. And if you're a striking player, you're an attacking player, you're a striker, you're in that penalty box, you know that the video is always going to confirm contact. So if you feel anything, you got to go down, you're going to sell it to the ref, and I credit Sterling. He beat the defender, he got on the wrong side of the defender. He was very, very smart. And that play, whether we agree with it or not, once it's called on the field, Herc, it's never, ever That's getting overturned. Problem. That's the problem, because it's not clear and obvious, so I have a problem with what is the rule. It can't be subjective. It's got to be more black and white. And when it's subjective, when it's up to interpretation, this will happen. Herc, let's run it back. Euro edition, some golazos in the semifinal. We start with that Denmark-England game. Denmark actually grabbed the lead early on. Mikael Damsgaard, one of the players of the tournament. Damn! Mikael Damsgaard with the bomb. It's, it's a bomb. He hits it with some pace. But Pickford's going to have a little say in this. He's going to be upset he didn't do better with this. The distance, sure. Really, dude? Look at the dip. Look at the Look dip. Look how central it is. You can't blame Pickford. If that wall's not there, he stops the it with his chest. Does the wall hurt him? It gives, yeah, of course. It gives him reference. It, it gives him reference. It gives the, the shot taker reference. He stops this with his chest if there is no wall. This is a play he will want back. Oh, well, then credit to Denmark for setting up the wall uh, and setting up the screen. So Denmark... 
with that great goal. Italy with this great goal in the 60th minute against Spain. A brilliant counter from the Italians. You might say a little bit against the run of play, but it ends up at the feet of Federico Chiesa. Herc, this guy's having himself a tournament. Chiesa. Do you remember when Matteo Bonetti was here a while back and he told us that the plan for Juventus was to build around players like Weston McKinney and Federico Chiesa. For this reason, the man is a menace. Look where he puts this. One touch and then in between two defenders, side netting, let's go home. Well, not quite, but what a goal. Chiesa, golazo there, golazo against Austria as well. Well, look at that. As if on cue, he appears. Matteo Benetti joining us here on Football Americas. Matteo, man, thank you so much for the time. We're super glad you could join us ahead of the European final between Italy and England. So you've been a, a big part of the coverage on the European Championships. But l let's kind of go behind the curtains a little bit. You're Italian-American. You're obviously a huge fan of the Azzurri. You've been, like, hanging out, watching games with Alessandro Del Piero. You must be, you must be living the dream. Yeah, and I still can't believe that. Trust me, that's as weird as it sounds when I find myself eating ice cream next to Del Piero in the Italy-Belgium game. It's just been, it's been such an amazing feeling, guys, because there has been heartache. And I know that as an Italian, I can't really complain because I saw my nation win a major World Cup in 2006 when I was old enough to enjoy it in high school, my graduating year. But there's been a lot of heartbreak since. Didn't make the World Cup in 2018. So we have to wait a long time to see the team finally playing up to their stereotype and their reputation and, and here we are and it's a beautiful thing. Matteo, you, you wear kind of two hats, right? You wear the, the hat of the broadcaster, the analyst, you also wear the hat of the, of the fan of Italy. Combine those two hats, combine the emotions and the knowledge that come with all of them. As you look at this final, do you feel like Italy's a favorite or an underdog? Mm. I think they're a slight favorite. I really do. I mean, 33-34 games undefeated, a world-class midfield. I think Italy have the better defense. The one thing they don't have, which is strange that they've even gotten to this point, is a reliable striker. And most of the other teams that go for major tournaments, it is also because of that consistent goal-scoring threat. But it really has been a, a committee of players getting forward, whether it's been the fullbacks like Leo Spinazzolo, who's maybe the most dangerous player. What other team can you say that it was their fullback who was the most dangerous player going forward? But I do think that the Azzurri are a slight favorite. I think overall they've played better than the English. I've been very surprised with how well England has defended, but we haven't exactly seen that, that level of joy and enthusiasm throughout like we saw already from the group stage by Italy. No Spinazzola is out with a torn Achilles tendon. So what type of Italian team are we going to see? Because group stage, I mean, they were very free-flowing football. It was very enjoyable to watch. But versus Spain, they sort of reverted back to that Italy of old where we defend first. I don't know if they reverted back to it more that Spain forced their brand of football on Italy. And I, I think that Spain is the only nation that could take away possession from Italy like they did, where they can have 60-70% of the ball. I think any other nation in the world, this current Italy with that midfield, is probably going to dictate the tempo. They're going to really 
really set the rhythm of the game, but all credit to Spain. They do that better than anyone in holding on to the ball. And you're right, in that first half, it's really the most that we've seen Italy suffer. But yes, it was a much younger Spain, a different one. That isn't the one that won all those uh, trophies a decade ago, but still an incredibly good side in doing a few things very well. And Italy needed to suffer. And I feel like as an Italian, I've seen this nation really raise their game against top echelon teams. And then they tend to go down to the level. I mean, I've seen them draw against Faroe Islands. So I prefer when Italy face the top competitions because I know that they're going to go into these games and take these teams seriously. Italy, England then. Sunday at Wembley should be a lot of fun. Cannot wait for that final. Look, Matteo, we wouldn't bring you on the show and not talk a little bit of CONCACAF, a little bit of North America. We got three players from CONCACAF that'll be in Serie A next season. At least we're assuming as of right now they'll be in Serie A next season. And we want to get your predictions on what their next campaigns will look like. So I'm going to give you the three and then you run through them. We got Chucky Lozano at Napoli. We got Weston McKinney at Juventus. And we got Brian Reynolds under Jose Mourinho at Roma. Let's start with Chucky. So Chucky Lozano, I think, is going to have the best season out of the three names that you mentioned. I love that he's playing under an attack-minded manager like Spalletti. I think about a dozen goals, a dozen assists. He's going to be starting on that right-hand side, cutting in like we saw. Plenty of pace, plenty of work, right? And with the players like Insigne Mertens aging, that's the future of Napoli on the wings. Well, you got a goals and assists for us? What do you think? Double digits? I'm thinking like 12 to 15 goals, 10 to 12 assists. Uh, he's going to be in the double digits in both category. And it, we really saw him taking off under Gennaro Gattuso. I still feel bad that Napoli got rid of Gattuso. He brought the best out of Lozano. He said that he needed to toughen up in practice. And, and he showed him the way. He showed him the ropes. And apparently in training, he was way better. He was more of a professional. He really worked harder. And that's what led to him finally getting on the team and living up to the price tag. Because at the time, when they signed him last summer. He was the most expensive signing in Napoli history. And just think of the great players that Napoli have had in the last few decades, starting with a guy named Diego Maradona. Hey, what about Weston McKinney? So Weston McKinney, I think a role player, rotational. I'm really curious to see who Juventus bring in, right? Because the, the biggest talk has been they need to upgrade that midfield. And Weston McKinney coming in, you know, he'll give you the box to box. He, I think, really impressed people with what he did going forward. But there was talks that maybe behind the scenes, especially at the beginning of last season, he wasn't as professional as maybe Andrea Pirlo would have liked. Now we have a new manager, Max Allegri, and we know that he likes those midfielders that work hard, that run plenty off the ball. So I think he's going to be a role, but I don't think he's going to be one of the most important players in the team. All right, so the next one is the one I'm very, very interested in. Brian Reynolds at Roma, primarily because he's going to be managed by the guy on Herc's shirt, Jose Mourinho. Yeah, so this is an interesting one, right? Because Brian Reynolds, known for what he does getting forward and fullbacks, especially under Mourinho in Serie A, and you have to go back to Inter, he's probably going to have a slightly more defensive role than what he would have had under Paolo Fonseca. He hardly played in the second half of last season, but he's a player who's coming in where there's Alessandro Florenzi, who's now apparently going to get sold maybe to Inter. He was the right back. And then on the other side, Leo Spinazzola is going to be out for a very long time because of that Achilles injury. So I think Brian Reynolds 
Reynolds is going to get time, but it remains to be seen if he's actually going to be given that sort of responsibility under Jose Mourinho or if they're going to go for a more veteran approach in that right back spot. But again, it's all about what they do with Florenzi, who would probably be the starter there. Seb, all I got to say is if Chucky Lozano scores 12 to 15 goals next year and puts up a dozen assists... He's going to be Premier League bound. We're talking about the biggest club in the world, biggest clubs, I should say, looking for his services if he does that. That's an astronomical, that's insane tally that Mateo thinks he can get to. I love it. I love it, Mexican national fans. He actually had last season. Come on, Eric. That's right. That's right. And he was injured. I mean, missed a, missed a couple assist? months. Did he have exactly. a dozen assists as well? The couple. Look, uh, before, we, before we let Mateo go, um, I, I want to sh- show you guys some pictures because he's obviously a big Italy fan, uh, but he's got two beautiful boys at home, Luca and Romeo. But the, the pictures that we've, that we've got of them Uh-oh. would suggest that, that oh, something's... No! Oh, Mateo, what's going on at home? Luca and these are, are wonderful Italian names, and yet they're wearing English shirts. Que pasó? What's happening? What, what am I going to do? I don't want to stir the pot too much. They're half English at the end of the day. So for me, I mean, this could very much lead to a divorce on Monday. I'll let you guys know. But it's going to be quite a tumultuous day in the Benetti household. Animo, tumultuous animo. day indeed. Look, we're all from divided households, so we know uh, very well what it's like when you, uh, when you got one parent rooting for one team and another uh, rooting for the opposite. All right, there's Matteo Benetti. Thanks so much for the time. Love having you here on Football Americas. And, of course, we'll all be watching the final of the European Championship on Sunday. Coverage starts at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN and on ESPN+. Plus. It's Italy against England in the final of Euro 2020. Perfect final, the dream final. Brazil against Argentina in the Copa America. Brazil hurt getting there after a narrow win over Peru in the semifinals. Was it really narrow? Could have been four, maybe 5-0 in the first half. Second half got a little interesting. I think I think Brazil just got a little bored. Uh, but Neymar doing what he's done. Fantastic tournament and the game winner right there by Paqueta. Look at you. one nothing isn't narrow. We can't argue about everything, Herc. Uh, Argentina into the finals. No surprise here. From penalties, 1-1 uh, after regulation against Colombia. Emiliano Martinez, the goalie, the trash-talking goalie for Argentina. Trash-talking yet. Emina getting in his head. Amazing. What did you think of the trash-talking, Herc? You got a problem with it no or you problem. love it? I had no problem when Nahuel Guzman did it for Tigres. That's his boy, by the way. Uh, Mina right there, and he ate him up like he said he would. Absolutely. All right. So Argentina, thanks to that man and that celebration, uh, is into the final as they beat Colombia 3-2 to two in the penalty shootout. It, of course, means we have an Argentina-Brazil final. For the first time, her kind of incredibly, since 2007 at the Copa America. It's a final we've been waiting on for 14 years. Glad to have it back. Between the two stars involved, Messi and Neymar, who do you think is under more pressure to win on Saturday? when they meet. I know this sounds crazy because we love talking about Messi. We love talking about his greatness, how he's never won. But could you imagine for Neymar, who's never personally lifted a Copa America, could you imagine if he's the first one, part of the first team to lose a Copa America? That's five Copa Americas in Brazil, and Brazil has lifted the trophy every single time. It would be ridiculous. It would be a failure of epic proportions for Brazil. So Neymar is under the most pressure. Brazil last won a Copa America two years ago. 
two years What's ago. the last time they lost one in Brazil? Argentina oh, it's never happened. last won a Copa America in 1993, mi querido Hercules. Of course Messi's under more pressure. Messi's always under more pressure because Messi always has more expectations. Tell goat. me I'm wrong. That's the GOAT. What do you mean pressure? Pressure's nothing. Come on. Come on. Wow. It's Neymar. It's Neymar for where it's at for Brazil. Everybody expects this Brazil to win. This Brazil to lift the sixth cup. If they're the first team, if he's the first man, the first Brazilian captain not to do so, staying on his legacy. Also, if they won it in 2019 without him, and then they come back in 2021 and with him can't win, I agree with you, a stain on the legacy of Neymar. Let's talk legacy with Messi now. Mm. Should he win? Should he win on Saturday? It would be his first major international tournament victory with Argentina. What would it mean for his legacy? If he wins, if Argentina wins, he would do something that Pelé nor Diego Armando Maradona have ever done lift a Copa America, but he will do it under unusual circumstances. Argentina has never, never beaten Brazil in an official competition in Brazil. He would be the first one, the team captain, to lift a trophy and get a win in what is Brazil. Against this Brazil, which under Chichi has only lost once in official competition, and we have to go back to what is the World Cup quarters against Belgium. This Brazil rivals a lot of different teams around the world. This Brazil, to me, is one of the favorites next World Cup. If he could do that versus this Brazil, man, we are talking about all-time best status. Look, he's already all-time best. I'm kind of tired of us being like he's got to win with Argentina to, to, to improve his legacy. Come on, dude. He's messy. 30 seconds ago, we called him the GOAT. 30 yeah. seconds ago, we called him yeah, a go. Surely winning one us, game in an empty Maracanã is not going to change about that. about the finals loss, Seb? You know how this works. You know Fair exactly enough. how this works. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, let's put uh, our money on the line here. Time to book it. Who you got in the final? Brazil. I, mean, I just mm. sat here and told you that they've never lost an official game in home soil against Argentina and that they've only lost once, and that was in quarters against Belgium in the last World Cup three years ago, and you want me to go against them? And they, they've never not won while hosting Copa America, and you want me to go against them? No, the, my, our boss is going to kill us because he's Argentino mm -hmm. through and through, but I got to go Brazil. <laughs> he's in my ear You're earlier, heartless. by the way. You're heartless. You're absolutely heartless. You're not a romantic at all. For, uh, can I just ask you this? Who are you rooting for on Saturday? Who am I rooting for? Yeah, who are you rooting for? Uh, I, you will can't tell you this. I, I won't I, I like good storylines and this is a great storyline for me 2007 that that what was Copa America you mentioned that I played in that Copa America and I remember how dominant Argentina were we played them in the opening round they dropped four mm -hmm. on us in the U.S. men's national team they had Messi they had Crespo they had Tevez they had Riquelme uh, the list goes on and on and on it was an insane team they were the Brazil of that tournament against a Brazil who had lost to Mexico and had Neri Castillo drop two on mm. them. They met in the final, and then boom, Brazil took it to Argentina. I could very easily see that happening just because it's one of the best rivalries in the world and records mean nothing. Unlike you, I'm a romantic. I want Messi to get his trophy, to get all these people off his back. So I'm taking Argentina to win. Also, in a romantic sense, Herc, because of Diego Maradona. You know, it's the first Copa America since his passing. What country, what place has mourned him more than Argentina? What a boost it would be for them if in this year they could win the Copa America. So I'm going Argentina, even if they are prohibitive underdogs against Brazil. Speaking of Argentina, Herc, in case you missed it, 
Who, who doesn't love dancing and who doesn't love Papu Gomez dancing? My cousin! That's your boy here. Is this Go how ahead. you guys dance? The Gomez's? Is, is this how you guys That's dance? That's how we do. Go ahead. Oh, oh, oh! Catwalk. This is how I walk. In the catwalk. Do the robots. Ah, 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 ah. What you know about that, Seb? Maybe a romantic, but you ain't a dancer. No, I am definitely not a dancer. I am definitely not a dancer. Argentina and Papu Gomez dancing their way into the Copa America final, which will be played, of course, on Saturday. Hey, Herc, also on Saturday, one of your favorite events, an event that I've seen you dress to the nines for in the past, the ESPYs. The ESPYs. And, of course, we know there are some soccer categories at the ESPYs. Let's start with the best NWSL player. you got Rachel Daly, Julie Ertz, Kaylin Sheridan, the goalie for Gotham FC, and Lynn Williams. Uh, Herc, I'm going with Rachel Daly here of the Houston Dash. She was your Challenge Cup, not just Golden Boot, but MVP as well. Also, Houston Dash for like a long time was kind of a, a, a forgotten bad franchise in NWSL. Rachel Daly, one of the big reasons why they've been able to turn it around there in the Bayou City. I think the Dash are now among the best franchises in NWSL, so a uh, big shout to her for that. She gets my vote for the best NWSL player of the year in the ESPYs. All right, best MLS player of the year in the ESPYs. Herc, your candidates, Andre Blake, uh -huh. Alejandro Pozuelo, uh -huh. Diego Rossi, Ooh. and Lucas Celarayan of Columbus Crew. Who you got? Well, okay, I could see right there where we're going with it. Celarayan, you know, he had a good MLS Cup. Rossi, good MLS is back. Pozuelo was decent, but who beat Pozuelo for the Sporter Shield? That was Andre Blake. This man is one of the best goalkeepers in CONCACAF. And CONCACAF, by the way, has goalkeepers like Memo Choa and Keylor Navas. I take this guy. He is the future. He should already be gone from Major League Soccer. He's the next big transfer, if you ask me. I'm sticking with Andre Blake as my Did you player. just use the supporter shield as a tiebreaker here on Football America? All we do is rail about how the supporter shield is completely, well, completely if it's meaningless. Between You're gonna use it as a tiebreaker. Blake, what do you want me to do? I mean All right, uh, fair enough. Enough on MLS. Best international athlete women's soccer category. We got oh man, we got some good ones in here. We got yeah. uh, Chelsea teammates, Sam Kerr. And Fran Kirby, of course, Kerr plays for Australia, Kirby for England. We got Sam Mewis of the U.S. Women's National Team. And we got the goal-getter for the Dutch National Team and for Arsenal, Vivian Miedema. Uh, you know me. You know me. I I'm going to throw Sam Mewis a vote. She was, she was number one, number one in the ESPN FC Top 50 Women's Players in the world. I think based on that alone, she probably got a pretty good shot here. But really, I don't think you'd go wrong with any of, of these no, four players. No, I went Sam Mewis as well because she's the best player on the best team. No argument there. But she wasn't your number one. Just remember that, Sev. No, she wasn't. My number one uh, didn't get a nod here. Crystal Dunn, uh, which shows that the ESPY should really call me in for their <laughs> nomination committee. We'll work on that for, uh, for next New York. year's show. ASAP. Uh, okay, best international athlete men's soccer category. Big names here, too. Mbappe, Messi, Ronaldo, Salah. Who are you taking? Okay, so none of them won anything of relevance. That's, that's the issue here, right? So I got to go with Kylian Mbappe, the future. I just think any way you slice it, this is a player that today is the next to inherit that mantle, whether it's from Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo, he's the obvious choice. He's an easy player to slot in in any system, any team around the world, and my easy pick out of this lot. Mm. Yeah, too much of an individual award in a team sport. If none of these guys, as you say, won anything of value, uh, we got to have somebody that won something in this list, I would say. So, again, SB nominating committee, 
Next year, you get down to the soccer picks, email Hercules Gomez, he wants more work. <laughs> Do that one. <laughs> All right, that's it for this edition of Football Americas. Enjoy your weekend. What a weekend it's going to be. The ESPYs, of course, on Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So much going on, and they will hand out uh, hardware all over the place, including the ESPYs. We got the Copa America final on Saturday. We got the final of Euro 2020 on Sunday. And then to top it all off, we're right back here on Monday, Herc, Dude, for the next edition. I am not leaving my couch between <laughs> between Copa America, between the Euros, between Gold Cup, between Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier. I'm going to be at home all day. Wife's going to kill me. Beto, oh, Le Beto, as the uh, French-Canadian producer. You coming over or what? No, no, he's going to be watching Wimbledon, he says. So much to get to this weekend. We'll cover it all on Monday on Football Americas.